Redbeard's Outfitter is a Mobile, Alabama-based outfitter offering a carefully curated selection of gear and apparel, outfitting you for your next adventure, exploring our world, and building community. We love this local store, and we love supporting folks like them who are building community in the outdoor space. Plus, they have some spectacular apparel for Alabamians and all the gear anyone would need to be ready to enjoy the outdoors. Use promo code TSO for a 20% discount online or visit them in store. Visit redbeardsoutfitter.com for more information. This is the Storied Outdoors podcast somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark, finding clarity in the stories we tell and the adventures that shape us. This essay is entitled Football and the Evolution of Edmund Pevensey by Dr. Brian Gill and read for you by Brad Hill. Maybe I've done enough, and your golden child grew up. Maybe this trophy isn't real love, and with or without it, I'm good enough. Ryan O'Neill of Sleeping at Last. I began playing football in the fifth grade. Kiwi football. I would have played sooner, but my dad made me play soccer for a couple of years in hopes that I would run off some of my baby fat. It was a strategy that didn't work because I recall wearing elastic-waisted husky jeans well into middle school. Nevertheless, I played middle school linebacker in oversized shoulder pads, wobbly helmet, and a neck roll because it looked cool. I was chubby and slow, but I wanted to play linebacker because that's what my daddy played. So my coach let me, and as you might expect, I wasn't very good. I never really knew where the ball was going, I wasn't fast enough to chase anyone down, and I wasn't strong enough to get past the so-called 12-year-old offensive lineman with a mustache that drove himself to the games. But hey, I was out there having fun, and that's what it's all about, right? That perspective changed for me not long after the season began. Our family started a tradition of going to Waffle House after the Pee Wee football games. We would sit around and chat with some of my parents' friends and stuff our faces with scrambled, covered, and smothered potatoes. I liked these times because they would usually involve Dad telling stories about his glory days of football. I loved hearing the stories of him and his best friend playing linebacker and making it to the championship game no matter how many times I heard the stories. I was on the edge of my seat. I wanted to be just like my dad and be a good linebacker and one day make it to the championship game just like he did. One night at the Waffle House, we were talking and laughing and eating and somebody brought up the game 
I'd just played. We'd lost, of course, but we had a good time and I got to see a lot of my friends. I didn't really think about the fact that I didn't play well. I honestly didn't know what it meant to play well. What what did that actually look like? I guess you could say I was innocent or blissfully ignorant. The conversation turned to my dad's friend, Mr. Terry, and he asked me, Did your daddy tell you that you played a good game? I smiled, and I looked up at dad, fully expecting him to tell me that I'd played a good game. Dad looked at Mr. Terry and said, No, no, I didn't. And then he resumed eating. The room went cold. I sat there smiling, waiting on him to rectify the situation and tell me I had a good game, but he never did. Then, slowly, I realized he wasn't going to tell me that I had a good game. I guess I didn't. My smile faded. A lump formed in my throat. I felt all alone in that crowded room. What just happened? What did that mean? If he was trying to make me tough, it was working, but he was breaking my heart in the process. My ten-year-old self grew a little harder that day. Approval meant love to me, and if I had approval of my father and others, I felt love. If I was good at something, they couldn't disapprove, so from then on, I felt the need to be the best at everything. I felt that if my name was in the newspapers, if I was showered with awards at the sports banquet, and if people knew my name in my hometown on Saturday because of my performance on Friday night, then that meant I was loved. After hitting puberty, Several, several years later, I lost that baby fat. I got a little faster and I got a little stronger. And lo and behold, I became a decent high school linebacker. Although I was undersized, I loved to hit people. Looking back, that was probably the result of some unresolved anger issues I had with my dad. But I digress. Playing defense and hitting running backs became a source of endorphins for me. And the better I did at those things, the more I knew my daddy would be proud of me. And I felt loved and happy when I made him proud. I loved hearing his recognizable whistle from the sideline and seeing the way his face lit up after a big tackle or a defensive stand. I loved it when he talked to his friends about me as a middle linebacker, the way he smiled when people would tell him how well I had played. It brought me so much joy to see my daddy proud of my accomplishments. But deep down, somewhere deep inside that tough exterior of a high school football player, the question loomed. What if I wasn't? A good linebacker? What if my name was never in the newspaper or on the Friday Night Football recap TV show? Would people still love me? Would daddy still love me? 
Every tackle that earned an attaboy, every big hit that brought the crowds to their feet, every interception, quarterback sack, and fumble recovery was all to make sure that never became a reality. If I performed well, I could win and keep the approval of others, especially my father. But truly, deep down, all I ever wanted was to know I was loved without having to prove my worth. I replayed that night in the Waffle House over and over in my mind, and each time I longed to hear those words, I love you and I'm proud of you, even though you may not have had a good game and even though you lost. But every time I replayed it in my head, the tightening of my chest returned and the lump formed in my throat once again because those words weren't uttered that night. After much reflection on my younger years, I understand now that Dad was fighting demons of his own. His lack of expressing approval if and when I failed was more of a reflection on him than it was on me. I see that now. But that was impossible to see as a 10-year-old kid trying to find his identity. However, people can change. And some people actually do. As I've gotten older, I've learned more about myself through different personality tests and self-reflection. I don't make too much of these as they can often only point out people's flaws or worse, give people an excuse to act like jerks. But nevertheless, they have proven to be interesting tools to better understand how people act and behave, at least they have for me. Much has been made of the Enneagram in the last decade. The Enneagram is a personality tool that is based on a trait identification and an association of numbers with those traits. I was ignorant of what it was until several years ago, but I have found it to be a fascinating way to better understand how I'm wired. There are some varying opinions on whether the Enneagram tests are worth taking or if you should just self-diagnose after reading some of the books on the topic. Nevertheless, I chose to take the test. Upon receiving the results, it revealed that I was a three-wing two. Achiever. I was elated. Because I thought that since it said achiever, that it meant I had won. Which turns out to be the most three thing ever. I had, in fact, not one, but the label achiever was the word used to describe a three-wing two instead. After further reading, I found out that people who are three-wing twos have a fear of failing and being found unworthy of love. Their deepest desire is to be accepted for who they are and they seek approval through accomplishments and accolades to feel loved. This described me perfectly. For better or worse, it was dead on. And since, since I'm being transparent as a three-wing two, constantly trying to win the approval of others is exhausting.
As much as I hate to dwell on negative things in my past, that night in the Waffle House was unforgettable to a person with my personality type. But like I said, people can change. And some people actually do. Edmund Pevensey, my favorite character in the Chronicles of Narnia, is an example of someone being able to change. His character arc is one of redemption and growth and hope. Edmund, the annoying brat who relentlessly pestered sweet Lucy, sold out his brothers and sisters to the White Witch for a few bites of Turkish delight, and ultimately was the cause of Aslan's death. Became a great king of Narnia and a voice of reason to his family. But he didn't do this alone. It was his encounter with Aslan and his ultimate realization of the sacrifice that was made on his behalf that caused his complete transformation. I think of another Chronicles of Narnia character with a similar arc, Eustace Scrub, the whiny, know-it-all, selfish cousin of the Pevensey children. Eustace was absolutely insufferable. There might not be a more self-centered character ever written. And if there was a character who was created to be despised, it was him. I applaud C.S. Lewis for making me dislike a character so much. In the voyage of the Dawn Treader, Eustace's greed and self-centeredness got him into some big trouble. He actually turned into a dragon with scales and wings as a result of his poor decisions. The story goes that Eustace, thinking he was dreaming, tried to undress himself from the beastly dragon he'd become, meaning he'd tried to remove the scales that covered his skin all on his own. His efforts were in vain, and layer after layer the scales fell off. But with each layer that fell, there was another beneath it. Then a lion tells him that he was going to have to be the one to do it for him. So the lion removed the scales with his mighty paws, and after much pain, Eustace became a boy again. He told Edmund the story and that he thought it was all a dream. Edmund told him this wasn't a dream. What do you think it was then? asked Eustace. I think you've seen Aslan, Edmund. People can change, and sometimes they do. It was fall of 1999, and my high school, Eufaula High, was making a championship run in 5A football. It was serendipitous. Dad was a linebacker in high school and had made it to the state championship game with W.S. Neal out of East Bruton, Alabama, but lost. Now, I was following the same footsteps of my dad. Everything I'd hoped for would come to fruition. It was unfolding before my eyes. Dad was a linebacker, so was I. Dad made it to the championship game. Now I had a chance. However, winning the state title 
was my opportunity to do something really great, something Dad never did, something that would certainly cement his approval for me. Adrian Johnson, my ridiculously talented and athletically superior counterpart as strong side linebacker, and I, the much less athletic weak side linebacker, had played together for six years, going all the way back to our peewee days where it all started. We were salt and pepper, ebony and ivory, heart and soul, and we knew how to play middle linebacker together really well. If there was a fullback coming to my side, it was my job to blow him up, knowing that Adrian was coming right behind me like a heat-seeking missile aimed to take out the running back, and vice versa when they would run to Adrian's side. There were times it looked like Adrian and I were holding hands as we read the play and tracked down the running back, and we both loved to hit. We used to have the competition to see if we could hit the opponent so hard that we knocked paint off their helmet. Adrian won outright the time he knocked the face mask clean off a running back on the first play of our senior year. Watching our highlight films now, I'm certain most of our highlights would be called for targeting, but that was a different time. For four years of high school, we had been dreaming of playing for the 5A state championship title. Ever since our head coach at the time, Rush Probst, yes, that Rush Probst, put it in our heads as ninth graders that it was actually a possibility. So there Adrian and I were, co-linebackers in our 5-2 defense, senior captains of the team, and on the verge of doing something great. By the time we were seniors, Coach Probst was long gone, but head coach Mike Owens and some of the best assistant coaches you'll ever find were leading us through a storied season. We were 12-1, and one, had the best run-stopping defense in the state, and our offense could score at will with a versatile quarterback and a talented freshman running back. We had our sights set on the championship game. We could see it. We could taste it. We knew that if we made it to the final game, we were going to play Etowah High School for the state championship. Etowah was led by running back Carnell Cadillac Williams, future SEC championship running back for Auburn University and fifth overall draft pick in the 2005 NFL draft by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It would be strength on strength, the best run defense in the state versus the best run offense. However, there was one final obstacle, one final obstacle in our way, Williamson High School out of Mobile, Alabama. Williamson was a bit of a mystery to us Ufala boys. We'd watched the film but really didn't know what to expect. All we knew was that they had an unknown freshman quarterback who was lighting up the record books. He was a tall and lanky guy by the name of Jamarcus Russell. All Jamarcus ever did was, well, go on to be the starting quarterback for the LSU Tigers, MVP of the Sugar Bowl, and the number one overall draft pick in the 2007 NFL Draft by the Oakland Raiders. 
Little did we know that we were about to face one of the most celebrated quarterbacks in Alabama high school history. That game proved to be a nightmare for our team. Williamson lined up about 100 track stars at wide receiver and threw deep balls all night long, rendering our highly touted run defense useless to the air raid offense. To make matters worse, our safeties dropped seven interceptions that would have certainly changed the outcome, in my opinion. At the risk of sounding like old Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, Coach did put me in, but I had a terrible night. I don't remember making a single tackle. I had a chance to sack Jamarcus a couple of times, but his 6'6 frame sidestepped me with ease. With each tick-tock of the clock winding down to zero, I'd never felt so helpless. We watched as our dreams slipped away and the buzzer sounded. When it was all said and done, we lost by three points. It was over. Our championship run was finished. We'd failed. I had failed. There would be no championship ring that would cement our place in Eufaula High School's history. There would be no celebratory parade, no front page of the cover of every newspaper in the state. There were no more chances to earn my father's approval on the football field. No, that dream was over. And as B.B. King said, the thrill was gone. Sitting in the locker room after the game, I felt numb. The cold air was suddenly more evident than before. The Williamson band was playing outside, but all it sounded like was a distant roar, muffled by my ringing ears. Cheerleaders lining the walkway with their tear-stained faces and encouraging words. I didn't care. The last remaining faithful were still in the stands waiting to tell us, good game, before hopping on the chartered buses to take us back home. I didn't want to hear it. I knew it wasn't true. Good game? Really? I didn't deserve that. I knew it was a lie. The truth was, I did not play well. I did not have a good game. I remember walking out of the locker room with my shoulder pads in one hand and the helmet in the other. As I made my way across the field amidst the noise, I heard a familiar whistle. It was my dad. I didn't want to look up at him. I didn't want to see him. My mind flashed back to the vivid scene. The vivid scene at that Waffle House where I had not done enough to earn my father's approval. And I didn't want to relive that scene. My chest tightened. A lump formed in my throat. I did not want to face him. He called again and again. Reluctantly, I looked up and searched the handful of fans that were still in the stands. He wasn't there. I scanned the sideline and there, leaning on the fence, standing all by himself, was my dad. He'd made his way to the field to say something to me, but for what? What was he going to say? I knew I had blown it. I knew I'd messed up. And this was the worst game of my career. But nevertheless, I stood there in the middle of that war-torn field and awaited the worst. 
I could see he was hurting too by the look on his face. But hurting for me? What could be so important that he had to come all the way down to the field to tell me? Whatever it was, I didn't want to hear it. I awaited the worst. He didn't say good game. I knew that would have been a lie. He didn't say, we'll get them next time. There would be no next time. He stood there, stoic, with his chin quivering, gave me a thumbs up and said, I love you, son, and I am proud of you. I fell to my knees in the middle of that dusty field, and I wept. I wasn't weeping for the game we'd lost. I wasn't weeping for the tackles I had missed. I wasn't lamenting my last game as a high school football player. I was overwhelmed that even though I had just played the worst game of my life and felt like I had let the whole team down, shoot, the whole town down, that my daddy loved me. He loved me still, and he loved me despite my performance. That was all I ever wanted, all I ever needed to know. Many years have passed since that night, but it was a night I will never, ever forget. It was the most vivid image of God's love for me. While I don't deserve the love of God, and there's nothing I can do to earn it, God loved me and you so much that he came to earth in the form of a man named Jesus and died for our sins. What happened in the years between Waffle House and the Gridiron in Mobile, Alabama? What changed my dad? I believe that somewhere along the way Aslan's same fierce pause that removed the hardened scales from Eustace and the one who transformed Edmund's heart was the same one who with velveted paws stripped away the calloused heart of my father. You see, the great lion is named Aslan in Narnia, but he has another name in our world, and that name is Jesus. Somewhere along the way, Jesus changed my dad. Maybe I was wrong all along and my dad loved me regardless of my performance the whole time. I'd like to think so. Maybe it was fear telling me that I had to perform, that I was only worthy of love if I earned it. I don't know. Those fears are still there and they rear their ugly head from time to time. But what I do know is that people can change. And I was forever changed knowing that my dad was proud of me and that he loved me even when I failed. And my son will never have to wonder where he stands as long as I'm alive. I tell him every day before he gets out of the car at the school that I love you, I'm proud of you, and you're going to do big things today. Maybe one day, when his world is crashing down and he's blown it, and doesn't feel worthy of love, he will remember those words and will find comfort the same way I have all these years since. 
Ultimately, these words will remind him that his heavenly father loves him, even when he messes up. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. And we hope Brian's uh, sharing his story through his reflections and his time on the football field uh, were an encouragement to you as you listen. And they challenged you as you listen. Thank you so much for taking time to join us in this adventure. Uh, Thank you to all of those who have taken time to leave a review and a rating. Each of those are so important to us. They help us grow this podcast. They help this podcast to be found and make it higher on list and to be seen by folks. So uh, if you take time to leave us a review, that's one of the best ways to help this podcast grow. But ultimately, the very, very best way for you to help us to help these stories get out or to say, hey, have you listened to the Storied Outdoors? Pass this podcast around. Uh, copy the the link for this podcast and send it to your friends or share it on social media uh, to help these stories get into the hands of the people that need to hear them that need to be encouraged because our heart is to put some good into the world to put some encouraging and challenging words into the world to hear so thanks for helping we 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 hope you join us in this adventure Um, as we always say we hope uh, uh, these stories encourage you and challenge you to write your own stories, to share your own adventures in the place that we love to call the storied outdoors. Redbeard's Outfitter is a Mobile, Alabama-based outfitter offering a carefully curated selection of gear and apparel, outfitting you for your next adventure, exploring our world, and building community. We love this local store, and we love supporting folks like them who are building community in the outdoor space. Plus, they have some spectacular apparel for Alabamians and all the gear anyone would need to be ready to enjoy the outdoors. Use promo code TSO for a 20% discount online or visit them in store. Visit redbeardsoutfitter.com for more information.